Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We're so grateful that you're here with us today. So today we're actually bringing you a conversation that we did live on our Instagrams, Instagrams, plural, um, a conversation that we had with the lovely Tawny Lyons. So Tawny is a friend and a colleague of ours, someone that we respect very much and someone who Danae and I both love to have deep conversations with about relationships the self, capital S, and basically all things woo-woo because she's just a lovely combination. Um, actually, she also went to a school that is depth and Jungian based. And so I also think there's a lot of connection there for us. But Tawny is a therapist and a coach who's based in the Bay Area who has extensive knowledge of attachment theory. She's like an attachment guru, in my opinion, and also somatic experiencing. Yeah, Tani is like all soul. I feel like mm. everything about her, her content, um, I can only imagine what it must be like to be one of her clients, but I feel like she's like that thing of like dropping into a warm bath. You just feel mm. so held and contained um, in her really thoughtful perspectives on what it is to be alive and the way that we're negotiating our relationships. I loved this conversation with her. Mm-hmm. So. But before we get into it, just a couple quick reminders. Um, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to most, as well as giving us a five-star rating or review. And also share this episode with a friend if it resonates, because word of mouth is still the best way for us to get the word out on the podcast and into more ears. And the last and if point. <laughs> like, I, guess I guess I'm giving you the last point based on the pause. If you haven't yet, make sure you check out the details of our upcoming week-long intensive retreat through either of our bio links or my website. It's the first week of January, but signups close this week, the week that this is airing. So do not wait. Um, yeah, get on it. Get on it. All, All right. right. So here's Tawny. Here's Tawny. So excited to have Tawny here with us today. So for anybody who's not watching this live, but might be listening, because we're going to turn this into a podcast episode as well, uh, Tawny is a friend, a colleague, an ex-tat labber with us. Um, she is lovely and hella intelligent <laughs> and smart, um, and also a fellow depth-based therapist. So we all speak the same language and I think have a similar soul calling if I do say so myself. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so Tawny, last week you posted something on your Instagram that I immediately shared with Danae and immediately responded to you about. And I was like, holy shit. Yes. Can we have a conversation with this? Because it feels like it's really alive in the collective right now. Um, I know it's alive for me personally. So 
I'm very open about this stuff, but I, I, you know, I'll just say it here again that um, John and I just recently started seeing a new couples therapist because therapists should also be doing their own work, right? And um, she has us listening to, because it's only on audio, Stan Tatkin's book, Your Brain on Love. And I don't mean to call you out, Stan, but there is a lot of that book that I'm having a really hard time with. <laughs> with love, Stan. <laughs> with love. Much of it is amazing and I'm taking notes and I'm like this is great I can't wait to implement this but there's about 25% of it that feels really codependent to me and I'm struggling and so when you wrote that I was like oh my god let's talk about this mm -hmm. so can we start by I don't know if you have that screenshot up because I'm literally going to make you read your own words but can you oh my god I don't let me see okay wait I have it on my computer hang on let okay. me move my phone a little bit I'm going to read <laughs> okay. this all for y'all so one second. So the post that I'm talking about, so Tani posted, y'all, some of the codependency talk I see on here, meaning Instagram, feels like patriarchy wearing new shoes. Mm. Boundaries equals 100% yes. Overgiving equals 100% no. Hyper-individualism, quote, I can't make you feel anything, and quote, I don't want you, I don't owe you accountability rhetoric. Wait, What? Come on now. You know we impact one another deeply. To deny that is to deny our interdependence. It's to deny our feeling selves. That's mm -hmm. what we've already been doing. So just like let that let that sink in, anybody who's listening. Um, okay, I want to start, Danae. I don't know if you have anything. But I, wanna, I, want Tony, I want you to take me through, I guess, like what motivated that post and also kind of like where you were at when you wrote it. Because I'm feeling all my own feels, but I want to know kind of from the head that, from the, head that wrote, from the mouth that wrote that, what, what was going on? Yeah. I'm actually really curious what you're experiencing right now. Hang on. Somebody's asking to repeat it. So I think this is a good thing. So yeah. they can't pause okay. and go back. Okay. I'm going to read it one more time. Y'all, some of the codependency talk I see on here feels like patriarchy wearing new shoes. Hmm. Boundaries equals 100% yes. Overgiving equals 100% no. Hyper-individualism, I can't make you feel anything, and I don't owe you accountability rhetoric. Wait, what? Come on now. You know we impact one another deeply. To deny that is to deny our interdependence. It's to deny our feeling selves. That's what we've already been doing. Mm. Yeah. I'm so curious if we might be on different ends of this right now that you read because I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> no one did I, I just think we're going to go with Vanessa and Danae. Is that what's happening there? I mean, I'm in. Sorry, like, let's do it. There's a lot of love here. Well, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Like, I agree with you, and it feels like a big and on this one, right? Wait, I, want, I want Tawny to take us through her yes. thinking before we take you through ours. So I want to hear from you, Tawny. Where were you at? What was, like, what kind of predated or, or like, I guess, helped you conceptualize that thought and put it out there in the world, right? Because I'm, I'm very curious about this. Mm -hmm. On the interwebs. <laughs> yeah. Um, about, there was one post in particular, and they were saying that there isn't a need for accountability, basically. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this a lot in certain, like, counterculture, subculture, mm -hmm. um, especially kind of as a rebuttal to uh, codependency. So there are lots of folks who are more relationship anarchists or um, polyamorous through that view of I don't want to be owned, I don't uh, believe in the concept of uh, like romantic love and the way that we've learned about it, right? Which I, there's a lot of beauty and a lot of truth depending on who you are in that, right? But there's also this kind of your feelings are your feelings and I can't make you feel anything that actually feels more akin to patriarchal toxic culture that we've grown up in. And basically you have your feelings, they're your fucking feelings, deal with them by yourself mm -hmm. and I'll deal with mine, which is basically just feeling to me like a severing of connection, um, more like a disconnection dance in a way, which is Sue Johnson's language, which, okay, she's attachment based. But um, so I, I've just like, I'm curious more about straddling the between here of what if we look at things through a lens of connection leaning mm. with ourselves and other people instead of you versus me, which that's a lot of what I'm seeing feels like right mm. now.
That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Connection leaning. Yeah. Or it's funny about why you say that it feels like a continuance of patriarchy. Like, I feel like I'm hearing you say it feels like a very, like, wounded, masculine, um, like, competition, like, you know, you against me. Yeah. Is that, is that what you mean yeah. when you say that? Yeah. And I, I, I'm looking at it more through a framework of, like, wounded, wounded domination-based. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels very control-based control base yeah of like no i'm in the right here i'm allowed to say whatever i want to say and you're gonna have to deal with it almost like i don't want to hear about the impact i'm gonna turn my um comments off on instagram Mm -hmm. which everybody can have boundaries but when boundaries become an inability to connect and to have almost like restorative justice in a way then i get really curious about is that just a way to keep a power position Mm -hmm. And to not need to hear multiple points of view. And then how can we actually grow? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting when you think about it relationally versus sort of on a collective level, or if we're talking about people with public platforms. Right. Um, And I, I I definitely like, I hear what you're saying and I agree with you. And the, and to me is, you know, boundaries to me are always about like personal responsibility, right? So whatever boundary I set is what I'm going to do about the situation. If it doesn't change, it's not, I need you to change. And I think sometimes can you you repeat that today? Cause I think that's actually, I agree with you. And I think that's actually a new concept for a lot of people with boundaries. Like I do think that we've talked too much about boundaries, almost being like that you need to do this or don't do this rather than it's really more about you. So will you, will you kind of reiterate that? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the way that I hear people talk about boundaries in alignment with what Tani's saying to me can sort of be another form of an attempt to control another person. I believe that boundaries are around personal responsibility. And so I set this boundary sort of for myself and I decide how I am going to interact in this relationship if the dynamic doesn't change. Now I can certainly speak to how this dynamic feels for me, but we don't have the ability to control other people as far as I know. Um, And so it becomes more about if this is what the dynamic is going to be, this is how I am going to shift my behavior or shift our dynamic in this interaction right right and so i guess with what you're saying um because again like i think it feels like a little bit of a different thing and i kind of agree with you if you're gonna like put your stance on a personal platform and sort of like you know and nobody has to comment like i mean listen people can unfollow you if that's not really like something that's in alignment with them but Here's where I struggle, and I, I want to name that, like, my work is always, like, coming back, like, my pendulum tends to swing a little bit more towards the hyper-independence, so I will own that and say that a lot of times my work is coming back into the vulnerability and the connection and um, allowing for that vulnerability. So I understand that I, I sometimes skew that way, and I feel like, to me, it always comes back to discernment and personal responsibility. And that is the piece that it's like, if someone is saying to me in the example that you gave, and I'd be curious to hear about your thoughts, your, your feelings are not my responsibility, right? Like, so I, you get to own that or whatever they're saying. I think that to me becomes an opportunity for me to use my own discernment and sort of say where this person is feels guarded, feels like they are not able to connect my work is about really understanding why I want to continue to like reach for and control and maybe be in a relationship that's not supportive of me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Tony? I mean, I'm going to attachment woundings here, right? Like, first of all, I want to say, I think we all probably, the three of us, from what I know, mm-hmm. lean historically more into withdrawing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's why I'm so interested in connection because I think for me it's much it's it's it feels much safer to isolate away from connection it's scary to connect and to be dropped and I really love the wisdom that you're bringing in here Danae because there's a real love of self in a way to say oh this person can't meet me Mm -hmm. and so I have to choose myself and love myself I think that's what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. um and I also find that in, in my own work, sometimes be very challenging because going back to attachment, 
there is that kind of imago potential to heal previous woundings if that person eventually shows up. Mm-hmm. And then that can lean into more of if we want to pathologize like codependency. So it's like, I think that's again, like where the straddling comes in for me is how much of myself am I willing to give? And, and then can I reframe it too as a learning experience for me? And then if it's no longer healthy for me, of course, yeah, like leaving. But um, I love that I jumped to the exit. But um, will you say more, Tony, about pathologizing codependency? Because my ears sort of perked up as you said that with a lot of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just feel like, especially in the age of Instagram and social media, there's so much good that comes from it. We met each other through here, you know, like, and um, there's a lot of like black and white narratives around mental health, emotional well-being, that's what gets clicks, right? So a lot of the codependency stuff is almost, I can almost feel that I saw somebody on here say weaponizing boundaries. And sometimes I've heard clients and also I've been this person to say, no, you're codependent. You No, you're a narcissist. No, you have this or that. Mm-hmm. And I'm more interested actually not using those words personally and trying to explain it from, with eye language of what's happening inside of me in response to you. Hmm. And it, that so, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that? Yeah, I'm just curious if like for people listening, if you can give an example of what that might look like in a conversation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the most recent one that I can think of is a tr- uh, somebody being incredibly dismissive and I could have used pathologizing language for things that I know about them. And instead I actually try to go to a more of a nonviolent communication place of mm-hmm. when you said, um, this thing that I don't really want to say on an Instagram live to me, I felt really sad and ashamed. And I also felt a part of me very angry that felt like intergenerational rage at men. (laughs) So I named all the parts in me. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, I'd like to stay in connection with you, but I want to hear that you know where I'm coming from. I want to hear where you're coming from, and I want to see if we can find a solution together on how to relate. Mm. Or I need I need to not be in communication with you right now, right? Yes. So it was like instead of me being like, you're an asshole, you're a misogynist, which, like, I've totally said these things, you guys, in the past, right? Like, um, or you're codependent or whatever. Like, that's actually not helpful. Right. And then um, usually that that defensiveness is going to come up. So I want to speak more to like, ouch, that really hurts me. And I feel scared and I feel angry. And can you come forward here with me? And also what's happening with you? Can I can I say really quick? I I agree with you, Tani. I, I do. And I've said this, too. Like, I I find it to be very off putting how often now, especially on social media, we're using clinical language first of all it's all been watered down um but clinical language essentially to finger point and label other people right what i will say in my own experience is that using clinical language in the proper way um you know with the research kind of done around what it actually means and the weight that it actually carries um is helpful for me personally not to label somebody else necessarily especially like to their face but as an understanding of where i sit on the spectrum where you know and and where maybe my wounding especially from a past relationship might have impacted me so in that way i feel like it's really helpful you know you know the way that i speak about codependency is i believe we're all codependent so i don't think anybody should be running around using codependent or codependency as some kind of dirty word when everybody collectively needs to look in the mirror because we're all relating to each other to a certain extent, some more than others, from a codependent place, right? So I actually think, and, and narcissism too, to a certain extent, right? Like we're all narcissistic, y'all. <laughs> to a certain extent, mm-hmm. we're all a little narcissistic. So I think it's more about can you take it and look in the mirror when you feel yeah. the, the kind of um, the push or the, or the wanting to finger point and put a label on somebody, I would say let's get more curious and turn around and say like, why is that? Like, what's coming up for yeah. me that's making me want to other and make that person bad and label them in a bad way, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. I love the language you used, Tony, in the example, because I think to Vanessa's point, you know, we come from a depth psychology background, all three of us, which is, it's just the way of looking at things through a psychological lens where we don't tend, well, I feel like we, we try to step away from the pathologizing a little bit more yeah. and stay in the space of curiosity. And I think the minute that I see you as a narcissist, narcissist, um, you're not human to me anymore, right? Like I'm not seeing the layers of wounding underneath this, you know, this pain point that is making you act this way. And yeah, we are all um, in our own ways narcissistic. And normally it's it's always fear that is making me label and defend and want to push someone away. And normally the easy thing is the cutoff, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. that's the easier Mm -hmm. step to say like, this person is out, I'm done. And even as you were sort of speaking in that vulnerable space of how you spoke to someone, I could feel it in my body. And I I just think it's sometimes important to name how hard it is to be in the space of vulnerability because every part of our nervous system wants to resist and be like, no, it's not safe. Um, Protect yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's such, like, we're not saying this is easy work, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I do think that we really get to a space of dehumanizing one another when we don't do that work. Yes, hmm. yes, yeah, yeah. So let me get your thoughts on this, Tani, because Danae and I have been, like, batting this around. So let me tell you the two points in, in, in our friend in our friend Stan's book that <laughs> you're gonna see this and you're like, <laughs> women talking yeah. okay so the first one was <laughs> that um your partner you should share everything with each other and and you should they should know everything about you basically like this whole no secrets but like they should know everything and mm-hmm. then the second one was they should have access to you 24 7 <laughs> and I was like, I, I mean, I like rage. Like I literally was like, <laughs> like, like a cat. My hackles went up, and I was like, get out of here with this bullshit. I mean, today knows I lost my mind. Even John knows because I like he walked into the room. Poor John. I was like, this is bullshit. I'm like <laughs> my first gut response. But you know, and listen, Sam is also attachment based. So I do yeah. feel a little bit like and I know you know, this because you're very well versed in the attachment world. Um, to me, it feels a little bit like we've got to find that middle ground. Like, I think there's been so much amazing growth and understanding uh, of the human connection based in attachment and understanding the attachment theory and the attachment model. And actually, even the way that he talks about it, it it's so much new information for me that I didn't even learn. I mean, we barely learned about this in, in grad school, right? It's, it's been mostly us having to do our own research. Um, and so it's been really helpful. And I think it can be taken too far, right? I think it can be used as a way to actually mask a lot of codependent behaviors and relationships. And I think usually a stare Perel is the one that I tend to fall to, which is when she says, like, we're too focused on attachment-based in this society, right? Um, which I agree with. And so then I guess my question to you, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, what do we feel like that middle ground is? Because I, I think there's so much amazingness from attachment theory, um, just the model and using that, but I, I I don't know what that middle ground is, right? Yeah. I mean, I, there's so much there, first of all. Um, I think that it's going to depend, of course, individually, right? But I think of mm-hmm. Esther Perel, of course, like you mentioned, and I know Tanae you love, and also David Schnark, like the differentiation-based and the idea being like we need that strangeness for passion long term yeah. or eroticism long term. And I think like to live in both of those worlds is to have a consistent inquiry with ourselves, at least how I see it, of how in connection am I with myself right now? Yes. And how in connection am I feeling with this person? Because when you were mentioning those two things from the book, I was thinking about how sometimes people will feel like they'll feel safer after betrayal. They're always checking their partner's phone or something. Right. And I, you've made posts about that, Vanessa. And it's like, no, yeah. that's that's not going to make you feel safer. You know, you need to actually dig deeper to the foundation and check in with, am I abandoning myself and trying to soothe through this relationship? Or am I leaning so far into my own independency that I'm no longer feeling close? You know, it's mm. like, I don't know that there's 
an easy answer. It's more like the more we know ourselves, maybe not the more we love ourselves, but the more we know ourselves, the more we can actually know and be in connection with our partners. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I think that that's, that's what's sort of underneath those statements that Vanessa was saying, right? Like, um, yes. there's a lack of trust in myself and the fact that I will be okay, no matter what. And I feel like whenever I'm working with someone who's sort of navigating a betrayal, um, what we do is we go through where you've been here before and how you got through it and you had your back and you were okay. And like, how do we sort of remind the psyche that that will be the case again, right? But when I don't trust in that, I feel the need to try to cling. And I always come back to the challenging aspect for me about like attachment-based models that are based on what I'm afraid of. And I would argue, sorry, Stan, that is based on what I'm afraid of. <laughs> is that yeah. I'm not actually seeing the person in front of me in those moments. That's not actually about them. It's about what's happening within me and my inability to self-regulate in this moment. And I need you to do that for me. But what if there's like a ton of stuff happening inside of your partner as well? And I see that yeah. as consistently being the challenge with some of the more attachment-based ways of doing this work is we can just get so in the space of I need this other person to regulate that we are completely disconnected to how that feels for the other person I'm in relationship with, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what happens when that person is going through their own stuff, which we will, because life is hard. We all are always. And so they can't show up for us in the way that we need slash expect them to slash attachment model has told us they should do in order to be securely attached. And then, so then what happens? So then, you feel betrayed by that person, you feel abandoned, right? You feel your attachment mm -hmm. wounding being reactivated because a lot of what he speaks to is how like, we need to be perpetually forever and ever in our romantic relationships. We're going to be reparenting each other, which is another statement that made me cringe. I get the concept of anyone we're in close relationship with to a certain extent is going to be mirroring back to us a lot of our attachment wounding and, and kind of allowing us fodder to reparent ourselves mm -hmm. not necessarily that it's their job to reparent i think that is actually i think very dangerous language because to your point today it puts a lot of pressure and a lot of ownership and responsibility on somebody that's not you and you don't have any control over somebody else i don't care how deeply and, and securely attached you are as a partnership that person could die Right. Mm -hmm. So like then what happens to that? It, it makes me feel like you're going to be kind of left out there without a tether, without an anchor, because you have now almost almost like signed away that reparenting to somebody outside of self. Yeah. What do you think, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard because, like, my little introvert heart is, like, has so many things happening inside of me. And I'm like, how do I communicate this? <laughs> I know, Vanessa, and I can be sort of like... Um, I love we it. We absolutely know that. We get fun about the way that we speak with one another. Um, I love it. Yeah. I think what I would be curious to hear your thoughts on, and I always come back to this, and... I don't come from a more attachment-based understanding, so tell me what you think. What I always struggle with is entitlement around the idea of, like, like for instance, I called Vanessa yesterday with, like, I was struggling with something. I was scared. She, like, really held space and contained in, like, a very nurturing way for me, right? I didn't expect her to do that. Like, what I think is often the challenge that I see in relationships is, this is your job to repair me. This is your job to show up for me all the time when I'm struggling with anything, right? Like I think when and if we can do that for one another, oh my God, is there such unbelievable healing that comes from that. But anybody who's been a parent knows your kid does not give a shit how you are feeling, what is happening in your internal world. Whether it's two o'clock in the morning and you haven't slept in days, they don't care about you. They're like, don't care. And I feel like a lot of times where I struggle with the attachment based models is we are sort of attempting to meet our partners in that same, I don't care how you feel. I don't care what's happening for you. And I would be curious to hear what that brings up for you or what your thoughts are. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting because um, 
I don't have that experience, even mm. clinically. And Danae, you and I have talked about this, how sometimes, if, I don't know if it's like Bay versus LA or what. Like, <laughs> everybody's um, hyper-independent. Have to figure this out. <laughs> yes, everybody is hyper-independent. I feel, yeah. And helicopter like, in LA, that makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's totally different. Like, it's harder to lean into connection. Mm. And, you know, the dating worlds for people can feel hard to actually feel connected, even after years, um, which that could also be a codependent thing too, right? But um, what comes up for me with attachment is, and also differentiation is just what does security feel like and look like? Just going back yes. to that foundational principle of what does it feel like, like actually in your body to feel secure mm. with another person and with yourself. And when you start to feel insecure in yourself, are you reaching out to have that person to use that language reparent you? And sometimes we need that. Co-regulation mm -hmm. is very important, right? But if it's consistently happening and it's happening as an expectation, then that totally seems like, first of all, a relationship that wouldn't probably feel very sexual or erotic unless that's your kink and it's consenting. Um, yes. But yeah, that's a totally different power dynamic of take care of me. And I actually have seen something somewhat similar to that, yes, between like a woman who's taking care of a man. Um, I've seen that quite a bit. And, um, and that's challenging, of course, you know, it's like, how can you, how can you feel like this isn't your baby, in a way, even though it's your baby, <laughs> like, the other person has to have the personal mm -hmm. responsibility piece, both people do, but then I always wonder, how can you lean more into, and I don't know exactly how to put this, but like, I guess just lean more into the heart, even when we're needing individuation. Like, if I'm moving away from connection because I need it, am I still in touch with my heart in that moment? Or am I blocking off? And that's kind of ethereal, but I do check in with myself. Like, does my heart feel congested? No, that's, okay. that, that landed hard for me, Tawny, because I think... I mean, listen, and I don't think it's any surprise to anybody who knows me that I'm, I'm, I'm the island, as Stan would call it. I, I definitely tend to be more avoidant, right, in my nature. And my, that middle ground that we were speaking to really, for me, tends to be, am I doing what feels best for me right now? Because this is what feels normal and natural based on my attachment wounding, which would be to close off, uh, be, you know, pull in, um, not lean into vulnerability, um, disconnect all of these things, or a way for me to lean into more of what maybe he needs from me in this moment, which feels really uncomfortable and hard for me, but also uncomfortable and hard in a good way, like in a, mm -hmm. in an expansive way, in a stretching me way, in a growing edge kind of way right? In an inferior function kind of way. And there's never a right or wrong answer. It's usually a little bit of like one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, right? And I also think that's part of it is that we as people, as a society have to get more familiar and comfortable with there's no right or wrong. There's no black or white. There's no one size fits all. This is going to be, and it's not even a one size fits all in your relationship, right? Like day by day, it might be different. I might feel more mm -hmm. open and, and, and heart centered and connected one day. And the next day, I don't, and so I respond to maybe his his reaching out for affection in a different way. But I think the the losing of the nuance and the lack of appreciation for that person being their own person going through their own shit at any individual moment really strips away um, a layer of an ability to connect because now I'm connecting with what I expect you to be based on history versus who you are minute by minute. And there's no curiosity in that. There's no dance yes. in that. There's no I see you for who you are in that, right? It mm -hmm. becomes like I see you in the box that I think you should be in um, or have always been in. And so, I don't know, that's just something that came up when you said mm -hmm. that, that landed. I feel so impacted by that. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, what came up for me as you were saying that, be is that it feels like so often it's an invitation back into presence. And if we look at whatever the relationship is, um, because I was thinking, and Tani does a really beautiful job speaking to um, 
And if you don't follow Tony, <laughs> her content is amazing. But I think you do a really beautiful job of sort of speaking to how we're reinforcing a lot of our attachment wounds through the dating process. And I do think that there is something that is a little bit different than what we're reinforcing in dating versus what we're doing when we're in a committed long-term relationship. And that there is a level of discernment that sometimes we aren't using um, or like we need to slow things down a little bit. I talk to clients a lot about, but either way, it becomes an invitation to be really present with myself and what whatever this dynamic is has sort of come into my sphere. And this is where, you know, we get a little ethereal as we talk about it, but like, what has this relationship come into my life to display about me, about like where my wounds are still being activated and can this be an invitation for me to do the next right thing based on what's coming up in the present moment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love what both of you are saying because it feels more relational Mm -hmm. and it feels like actually – seeing other people as humans on the journey, like a soul journey with us, as opposed to you fit into this puzzle that I'm making of my life, which feels like not looking at anything with curiosity and then track that 10 years down the road, you're probably going to be resentful and not even enjoy the person in front of you or yourself. Right. It's like, there's this day to day moment to moment, um, relearning of ourselves and each other and the lessons that we get to learn like it's exciting and dating and relationships yeah Mm. and I hear you both really alluding to that maybe not the excitement part but the learning part (laughs) the growth part I do think it's exciting and I think that I love what you just said I'm gonna quote you on that Tony because I think it's that is the patriarchal wounding is feeling like another person is meant to be a piece in my life's puzzle versus another soul on their own journey. And I could not feel more passionate about the same thing that when we witness this as like, neither of us belong to one another ever. Each of us are individual souls on our own journey. And how do we hold one another with a little more grace when that is the case, right? But yeah, I just think that's, that's a different energetic when you hold it that way. Yeah. 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 Can I read a couple questions that we got? So I, um, I sent out a call and said, everybody, you know, we were doing this, this live and this recording. And so I wanted to see if anybody had any specific questions around this topic. So there was a couple of them and I want to, um, I want to I just use this opportunity and, and all the, all the three brains combined here to talk about this and the three souls combined. Um, okay. So this is an interesting one. So, unhealthy control we spoke to this a little bit but unhealthy control versus boundaries Mm -hmm. right so we talked about this in the beginning and then this person specifically says not being okay with bay insta following naked girls where does that fall (laughs) bay well (laughs) i want to hear what tanya's thoughts are (laughs) yeah you know, okay. okay. I, I was just listening to Preston Smiley, which I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with his content right now. And he was talking about like how often from our space of wounding, we're not looking at the other person's space of wounding, meaning we as women sort of have our own wounding quite often. Don't trust a man. Men can't be trusted. Men are dogs. Da, 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 narrative, right. Um, and we don't really lean into what it feels like for a man when we come at them with, look at this girl on Instagram, da, 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 da. what kind of a man are you, all of this stuff, which can be really like assaulting on their personhood, right? And so a little bit, I would say what Tony said earlier, right? Like when I see these girls, I tell myself the story that I'm not what you desire. I think that maybe you want a girl who looks like something that doesn't look like me and it sort of flares up my insecurities and I just want to bring that to you, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like what I said about the phone, right? And like we were talking about Tani, like the checking of the phone, it feels very similar to me, this conversation. Um, and I have very similar feelings around porn, although I can definitely have the conversation around ethical porn versus non-ethical porn. I get that entirely. Um, and, and that is definitely a worthy conversation when it comes to, I don't like my partner watching porn. And then we talk about ethical, that I get. Um, but if it's strictly a, around this idea of they're looking at somebody else that's not me um, and, and how, what is, but that 
if that's really the crux of it, they're looking at somebody else that's not me, somebody that doesn't look like me, to your point today, then that's a conversation for us to talk about you and your insecurity and what's coming up for you. That's not about the other person. That's actually about bringing it back to the self, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's just kind of where I go with it. Yeah, I just want to add something to you that I do think we're in a space and time where there is a need for us to challenge some of our, again, patriarchal wounding around how we have been conditioned to hold sex and sensuality mm -hmm. and that, you know, like this puritanist idea that mm -hmm. like, when you love someone, that means that you're never supposed to have an erotic charge towards anyone else for the rest of your life. It's not realistic. I would say it's a little bit childlike. And sometimes I think there's an invitation to be in curiosity, like Vanessa said, about what this is bringing up for me. But then also, can we use this as an opportunity to connect? Like, that's not that person. And I'm not saying, like, if that's a boundary, you're wrong for having that. But can I be curious about why that boundary feels so important to me versus just, like, the hard line of you can't ever look at another person and be, you know, turned on, or that means you don't love me. It's just... I feel like we got to outgrow that a little bit. Oh boy. Let me tell you, this is one of the, the videos that John and I did probably about a year ago. We did a live around this and people lost their ever loving minds. We got more like angry responses to John and I basically saying exactly what you're saying today than probably any other video we've ever done. Um, because this is a really hard thing in this culture as a the puritanical culture that we live in for people to really wrap their head around, which is I don't own you. And you are going to have sexual fantasy and sexual erotic draw and attraction to other people outside of myself. It is human nature, period. Hard stop. And people really have a hard time with it. And I get it. And we could do a whole episode on that one. Well, because we can't selectively numb. And if I have to I shut know. that down, how am I going to continue to have an electric or an erotic charge towards you? Sorry, Tony. I didn't mean to jump in. And Danae and I are just going back and forth. Like, Tony, what do you think? Tony's like, Danae I would talks. like to say something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm so glad that you're bringing in the patriarchal wound again, because another piece of that is we're also conditioned as women to compete for men's attention Ooh. and to compare. <clears throat> and so... <clears throat> If my partner finds you too beautiful, then I must not be beautiful, and I'm not good enough, and then I'm not worthy. And um, <clears throat> so that, like, consistently comes up, right? And and I, I that's one of the reasons why I really love the idea, and this is going to be very triggering, so trigger warning, of, but, like, not literally, but, um, like, sister wives in a way. <laughs> <laughs> But sister wives to the universe, sister wives to whoever, but just like really healing that wound there or brother husbands or whatever. I was like, like come on, but why, why do they get all the women? Can we have multiple men up in this? I, I said brother husband. Oh. I said brother husband. <laughs> <laughs> like we can all be but I'm here for that though I don't want to be a part of a harem that's a whole other conversation oh but, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed people... to that but maybe that's my maybe that's my island like tendencies <laughs> I'm like I'm crying I had this conversation with John and I was like who has time for all of this like I don't understand I can't even get my laundry done you guys are juggling multiple anyway sorry I know but looking at it another way, like, even if you don't have sex with multiple people, like, if you're living in community, it is emotional polyamory. Mm -hmm. If you look at it, like, I, I definitely look at my life that way, right? So I'm totally getting away from the point in a way. Maybe not. Oh, my God. The power is <laughs> Actually, we have you, Tawny. And here's something I want to ask you, because I feel like you are more well-versed in the polyamory community and, like, you know, just, like, how. Anyway, here's my question. I feel like a lot of times there is a tension that builds in relationships where if we have the release valve of another person in this partnership or there's like a triangulation or however that works, do you find that sometimes that gives people an out where they're sort of like escaping the tension, not staying in the discomfort with one another to work it out in a way that, I don't know, just like to me, I wonder if sometimes that can be a form of escapism or distraction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one of, that's one of, that's a huge reason why, 
a huge challenge that I have in that that kind of relationship structure. Um, another one being patriarchy, but that's for a whole other time. Um, but I also think, though, that that can come up in relationships that are monogamous. You mm. can drink. You can lean on other friends. You can do drugs. You can not even just... You can watch TV. You can watch porn. Like, there's social so media. Other, social media, right? Yeah. Like, But there is something that can be very triggering and I think needs to look, be looked at and isn't often looked at, in my experience, of using other people in that way. And I specifically get really upset because of intergenerational trauma with women being used in that way. Mm -hmm. To quell that emotional discomfort, distraught, whatever. Um, so again, one of those no easy answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, it takes a But I'm glad I asked you I, that because that makes sense. And I do think we, we distract in other ways. And so, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. The, the other next question is, and I think all of us are going to unequivocally say yes, but I think it's worth talking about a little bit more. Can you be codependent in friendship? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, answer, the, the short answer is yes, but maybe, maybe we can yeah. talk about this a little more, right? Because what, what we're really saying is, right, if we say that, code, that the act of or being codependent or codependence is I use somebody else, right? I regulate my emotional state through somebody else. I, I find my sense of worth, my sense of value outside of myself, right? In somebody else. Um, then that can be anybody. I mean, that, that can be that you have a lot of codependent parental relationships. There's a lot of codependent work relationships, right? It can really be any relationship. Um, and to Tani's point, when you're talking about it could be alcohol, it could be drugs. You know, I always say one person's Jack and Coke is another person's people pleasing. It really just depends on what do you use to regulate your yourself, right? Um, what or who? And so who could be anybody? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And by the way, once a codependent, always a codependent. I love to, I love to talk about that too. Cause a lot of times people are like, I'm only codependent in this one relationship. And I'm like, nah, that's not how it works. <laughs> if, if you're codependent in your relationship with, let's say partner, then you're also codependent most likely across the board. It might just manifest differently in behavior. So the way that your codependency looks might be slightly different. But if you're using somebody else to find that sense of worth, that sense of emotional, you know, whatever, then you'll probably have a tendency to do that across the board. That's just my opinion. I love what Tani said, and I'm going to start incorporating this more. So thank you for that, Tani. I think there is power in sometimes removing some of these labels in that, like, these tendencies are human tendencies. Mm -hmm. These are things that we do when we feel afraid versus, like, you're a codependent, which... Yeah, we're an we all are, like, which yeah, we talked like, about. We're all mm -hmm. addicts, like, but these are the human ways that we attempt to negotiate pain. And if we sort of normalize that, I think there's a little bit less resistance to taking our own ownership and our 100% of the way that we're showing up relationally, right? Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. I also, like, this was different, but I felt kind of sad hearing that question mm. um, because... <laughs> um because yeah it almost seems like there's an ideal idea there that partnerships are somehow the only area to have codependency and therefore almost like and I don't know if I'm reading into it too much but almost like other relationships aren't as important when in reality I think that that's a like not to blame this person but I actually see that as a feature of codependency mm -hmm. And not seeing the networks of community as just as important. Like, oftentimes friendships will last longer than partnerships, right? So those could be the people that we are more codependent with or more um, dependent on in a, in a way that isn't healthy for us. So, yeah. I don't know. That's fair. Um, okay, so I have one more. And again, we kind of spoke to this a little bit, so we'll just we'll kind of succinctly address this person's question. So. She said, isn't hyper-independence just anti-dependence, the teenage-like state, according to Pia Melody? I mean, it's a yes and. I, I think Pia Melody, I don't know if either of you are familiar with, with her writing on anti-dependence, but she does talk about it. And Danae, you speak about it like this, too. Um, it just kind of being more of a juvenile way of relating. Um, and, and I think that actually any, I, I think if I remember it correctly, it's been a while since I've read her books, but I, I'm pretty sure she talks about any of these more quote unquote extremes being more of a teenage, uh, adolescent way of relating. And I think it's really just more about this, this 
kind of attachment wounding, um, the cutoff from continuing to develop emotionally, and then what kind of becomes your way to self-soothe, right? So uh, my way to self-soothe might be the anti-dependence or might be the hyper-independence, right, which all three of us kind of fall into. Um, somebody else's might be what we would see on more of the anxious spectrum, right? So the kind of clinging or, or losing yourself. Because that's the thing, too. A lot of people think that codependence has to mean that you lose yourself in another person. Um, and I don't actually see it that way because I, I, I don't see that you're going to have somebody who's on one side of the attachment spectrum only exhibiting codependent behavior. Because to your point, Danae, this is a human, it's kind of a human thing. We all do this in different ways. It's just how does it manifest in behavior? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to say, Tony? I feel like I keep talking on top of Tony. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I think this is going to sound judgy, but I think that uh, maybe most people are probably still in that state and, and collectively. Totally agree. <laughs> right? Like we can have all these ideals for conscious relationships, but as you were saying, like if we're emotionally still in the space of teenagehood, that's probably where we're going to be reacting from until we can respond, which isn't, you know, we're not going to be able to respond perfectly all the time. There's also another piece that I want to bring in there around gender, but I want to hear what you have to say, Danae. Well, <laughs> here's my thoughts. And this is something that I've been like writing about and working through in a little bit. I think it is important for us to distinguish between the word dependence, depend, okay, let me back up. I think it becomes important for us to make the differentiation between the word um, dependent, independent, and dependency, right? Or hyper um, independent and um, hyper dependency, like independency, right? Like, because I think to me, and it feels like I'm sort of like, uh, what's the word when you're like picking at something? Like, Thank you. Um, <laughs> Vanessa finishes my sentence. It feels like I'm being nitpicky, but I, I feel like there's a difference, right? And to me, dependency and this, you know, I was saying in Alive with Vanessa last week is a little bit that I come from like an addiction background. And I think that like when we think about when we have a dependency on anything, it is I am not okay if this thing is not here. Now, mm -hmm. my independence is a different conversation to me, right? Like I think being hyper independent, like I cannot be in relationship. Yes, that's not a great thing. But I do think like having a sense of independence and that I don't have a dependency on anything outside of myself. I don't actually know that that's a bad thing. And I would say, I don't think most people are um, like really independent. I think most people have dependency on dif different distractions, right? I find that most people actually don't have the ability even when they're more avoidant to sit in the space of my alone, they will use drugs and alcohol and new people and all kinds of other things to distract from the space of I am actually okay in my skin by myself, which is not the same thing as like being independent to me. It's still a form of dependency on something external. Am I making sense for you guys? Like, and, and how do you guys? I, I would that? love to be, I love being alone. <laughs> Well, that makes you sort of the anomaly because most people like I find and I will like own for myself. Like I do like if, if somebody's mad, if I think Vanessa's mad at me, I'll start to like all my stuff will come up. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, like, yeah. I have to self through that. It's not like I don't need anybody, but I think the work becomes like as an independent sovereign being, I am actually always okay. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean I, I don't need relationships. I was okay. That's I was waiting for that kind of piece because I do think it's it is tricky, and this goes back to what Tani said in the very beginning of this conversation, which is the the intrinsic like we do need other people, like we are social creatures, and as like the animals that we are, maybe not like the elevated souls speaking here, but our very animal nature is we actually do need connection. We need other people, and so I think we there's also nuance to what you're saying, Danae, which is like. Um, we need to understand the difference between, and this is, I'm assuming what you're saying about the dependence versus dependency, right? Like dependency feels like I can't survive if this specific thing is not in my life. And that could be alcohol. That could be anything, not necessarily a person, but dependent being dependent, perhaps maybe the differentiation or the nuance there is, is taking into account that we do actually need other people to survive. Because we're not actually in relationship with that person 
when there's a dependency from my perspective. Right. Like I'm using yeah. you as a way to meet a need, but I'm not actually like, I find so many people are unbelievably codependent and have very little intimacy actually in their relationship. Yes. There's a ton of things I can't talk to you about because if I did, I know for sure the relationship would be over. And that's yep. not mm -hmm. actually healing connection and relationship. That's not safety. I don't feel safe with you. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tawny, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tawny, talk. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that monkey with the symbols a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like an object. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I, that for me is a yes end because, in you know, we're Americans. <laughs> America. And so then we're like, you know, that feels inherently to me like hyper-individualistic. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Go be a capitalist. Make all the money for yourself throw the middle finger up to everybody. And so I'll just say it for me on my healing journey, it's been a lot about recognizing systems of collaboration and care, uh, not just actually human, but animals and, mm -hmm. um, and nature and um, God, what that means for me, like a beautiful sunset or experience of bliss and awe and wonder. And that is really nourishing because I love aloneness. But maybe similar to one or both of you is I can be alone and be happy. And so for me, I feel like on this life journey and for some many folks that I work with, the, the hard part is actually leaning into depending on other people. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. And I just want to add, because I think this is an important distinction. To me, the dependency on one specific person, thing, substance is the issue. Whereas I think we should all have an entire yes. toolkit full of things yes. that we use to work through the hard things of being alive. My therapist walks in nature, you know, a higher, yes. um, higher source of whatever my understanding Higher self, whatever, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's so often that is not, and that is where it is. Like the codependency is like, I need to have dependency on one specific thing in order to be okay. Yeah, and I see that again as like this, capitalistic patriarchal culture where or mononormative of like no one person needs to be everything for me and then that person is going to die like you said Vanessa or that person is going to cheat on me and I'm going to feel like I want to die or whatever it's mm -hmm. like no there needs to be a nested model of attachment like nesting dolls where we recognize we're full sovereign beings we're souls and we can be we can when we do feel full we can help others in their fullness too but it has to come from you know, not a grasping place, which I think you and John talk about, Vanessa. And that feels different, too, and feels very related to what you're saying tonight that I agree with. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. Oh, I love you, ladies. I will, let's make this a serious, because I could just, like, sit here and, I know. I know. talk soul shop with you both all day. <laughs> I know. I love it. Okay. I love you both. Um, <laughs> So if this is something that you guys feel like you want more conversations around, Vanessa and I are leading an intensive in January, January 1st through the 6th. Just want to like throw that out there in case you're thinking about it, but we're going to dive deep on like a more, you know, tangible work through it level about all of the things that um, we're talking about. Right. Yay. Yay. And if you don't already, follow Miss Tani. Yeah. I'm going to tag, tag her in this live, too, because <laughs> um, she's rad, y'all. Until next time, ladies. Okay. Thank you. Happy Halloween, Belated. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us here on Cheaper Than Therapy. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. We mean it. We're so excited to announce that we're bringing back our now annual intensive retreat to kick off the new year. We call it from self-abandonment to inner belonging. Yeah, it's going to be the first week in January, January 1st through the 6th in Carefree, Arizona at the most incredible location, Savannah Wellness Resort and Spa. Yeah. So during this week long immersive experience, we're going to be supporting you in doing the work that we are most passionate about doing with our clients, but also with ourselves. This work is all about pattern interruption, taking a hard look at the ways that we've been living that aren't necessarily in alignment with our full potential. 
Some of the ways we've been societally conditioned to abandon ourselves as a way to maintain our relationships, no matter how unfulfilling. (laughs) So tangibly, what that looks like is working to understand our codependent patterns, doing a deep dive into shadow work, what that is and how we can start to understand our own shadow using the tools from our background in depth psychology to support you in living a life that feels like it's filled with meaning and moving into a more interdependent way of operating in all of our relationships. So if all of this sounds like work that you're feeling called to do in your own life, we would obviously absolutely love for you to join us in January. Yeah. Head to the link in each of our Instagram bios, or you can go to Vanessa's website under retreats for some more information. And we just can't wait to kick off another New Year's together in Carefree. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com